Deplorable Nation, a podcast where your voices can be heard, where things that affect you and your family are important, because it's important to all of us. Every one of us matters and everybody has a voice. We're going to be bringing you news, current events, and throw in a lot of humor. And then you decide for yourself. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet. Today is going to be a killer, knock your socks off episode, huge eye-opener, slap in the face, uh, kick in your pants episode. I'm bringing on my beautiful new friend, Ellie, for this episode called Science with Ellie. Before we get into the weeds today, gonna do my shout outs to all of my important and lovely friends. Go check out Campfire Blend Coffee. It is freaking amazing, phenomenal. Highly recommend. So you can check out campfireblend.com or follow them on Instagram at Campfire Blend Coffee. That's my girl, Shannon. Uh, you guys know her from my holistic shows. She's a naturopathic doctor, so go check out her coffee. Also go shop at freedomshopdirectory.com. The lovely Bootsy from Bootleg Media uh, put a lot of time and effort into finding Patriot-owned businesses. So go check out that. Also follow their Instagram page at Freedom Shop Directory. And then if you really want to do some shopping and not only support me for my show, but support another Patriot-owned business, please go to MyPillow.com. Use promo code Janet. You can get up to 66% off. They have different sales all of the time. I am absolutely in love with the sheets. Um, I'm one of those people that gets super duper hot when I sleep. Their sheets are almost like a satin feel, uh, but they're heavy and they're something that I've never encountered before, but they're fantastic. I also love the towels and everything else that they have that we have, uh, pillows, mattress toppers, the whole nine yards. So again, go to mypillow.com, use promo code Janet or my unique 800 number. If you don't want to use the computer, you can order through the phone line at 800-976-1152. And with that said, we're going to get down to business because Miss Ellie is amazingly fantastic and I'm tickled pink that she wanted to come on my show. So welcome, Miss Ellie. How are you? Thank you, Janet. I'm good. How are you? Fabulous. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful day. So tell me about you. Oh, goodness. I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me tell me about um, what you did for a living. Okay. So um, 
when I was in high school, I was like, I really want to be a scientist. And I was fascinated by infectious diseases and microbiology. And so I went and became indoctrinated. I got a bachelor's in cellular and molecular biology. I got a master's in infectious diseases and microbiology. And you know, like the movies like Outbreak or Contagion or things like that, where people are wearing like the crazy spacesuits. Right. Okay. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I thought that it was so cool and I wasn't intimidated by it at all. And I was like, that's what I want to go do is I want to go hunt down these crazy infectious diseases. And my parents thought I was absolutely nuts. And so <laughs> I specifically chose a school that had a BSL-3 in a BS, there's four levels of labs. Uh, one and two are basically stuff that um, isn't super dangerous. And, you know, you work with on a bench and maybe you just have gloves and goggles on. Three is where you start to wear like the spacesuit type things. Um, and there's typically a treatment or they say that there's a vaccine for it. Um, and then BSL-4 is things like Ebola where there's no treatment. And if you cut your glove or whatever and you're exposed, you could die. So I worked in a BSL-3 and I worked with a respiratory disease. And I remember asking my thesis professor at the time, why aren't we working with the wild type strain of this? Why are we working with this different, more weaponized version? He goes, oh, well, we can't, because we're trying to develop a vaccine, we need this weaponized version because if someone were to attack us with it, we would need a hardier vaccine. And I was like, okay, and I'm trying to understand. And I'm like, but wouldn't they have to attack us with this specific strain that we made in order exactly. to work? And he goes, <laughs> well, yeah. And I go, so then why are we doing this? And he's like, well, you know, maybe our vaccine would have some efficacy if it was a different strain. And this is all just for research purposes. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was weird. But like I said, I, I was indoctrinated and um, went and worked for Big Pharma for a couple of years and actually a few years. And uh, most recently I left. I, I quit because the company I was working for uh, was shipping chemicals across state lines without having proper uh, labeling and just like sending mm -hmm. them off via FedEx. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a chemical spill and the comment by one of the scientists was in, in response to when the company reached out was, ha ha ha, looks like you're having fun playing with chemicals. Oh, that's helpful. Yep. And when I would bring these things that were concerning up to upper management, the response was, oh, don't worry about it. The owner knows the governor. We won't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I morally, I can't do this anymore. So, so, I quit. so <laughs> let me ask you a question and you may or may not want to answer this. I don't know if they made you sign like an NDA or anything like that, but uh, was this particular respiratory virus Maybe something that we're seeing a lot of now? It was not. It was actually a bacteria. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. Um, but at the same time, uh, and I'm not going to say 
what facility it is. Um, but somebody that I know very well is looking into um, the same kind of situation where uh, they are not following proper chain of command, um, proper protocols in shipping, uh, but it has to do with the actual uh, thing, <clears throat> respiratory thing that's going around right now. Um, and it's not being labeled properly. The data is being hidden. Um, it is a huge deal that was uncovered because it is very, um, it has to be handled in a certain way and by specific rules from the federal government, which are not being followed. Um, they're being skirted right now. So yeah, like I can talk to some people about that in private, but I will not uh, talk about that in public. So yeah, interesting. So in your line of work, would you clarify for people, like what, what is uh, virology? Like, and especially explain to people, can a a quote virus, because I don't believe that those exist anyway, but um, would you say that something that exists in animals can jump to humans without human manipulation? No. <laughs> okay. Um, but to get to like, go back to the first question. So the standard explanation for virology is a non-living organism that is required to get into your cells in order to replicate. Um, it, it can't replicate by itself like a bacteria. Right. A bacteria will divide on its own and replicate with or without being in some type of host, whether it be an animal, um, a plant, a human, whatever. Viruses need a host. Um, and this claim that, and I don't care if it's a bacteria or a virus, to be clear, but nothing just magically goes from a bat to a human with the snap of a finger. Right. It just doesn't. It's not possible. It takes a really, really long time. And mm -hmm. if, if, let's play the what if game here for a second. Let's say that it could happen. The fact that it would then have to mutate within that human to then to become transmissible to be between human and human in one fell swoop. Right. Doesn't happen either. That's not possible. No, no. Like, <laughs> it's, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And anyone who's taken a basic virology course mm -hmm. can tell you that. Right. And see, I, I wanted to ask you because you are a scientist. I'm not. I'm a nurse. Uh, but I had to take a lot of different courses to get to the level where I was. And I'm like, okay, well, basic information uh, tells you these things. And I have brought this up since the very get-go of this coming out and told them, you know, it does not just automatically jump from, you know, an animal to a human. It takes literally decades for that to happen and that's if it cannot find an acceptable host. But there has been manipulation throughout history of animal viruses 
to put into humans. That's what the vaccinations are based on. Oh, 100%. And the other thing that like no one else wants to talk about, like I said, is that other piece of then, okay, so it does go, let's say it does go from an animal to a human. It then has to be able to replicate in your body. And even right. if you cough, sneeze, because you know, that's how symptom, that's how viruses are actually spread if you're going to believe right. in viruses. Um, right. Not just asymptomatic, like that, that, that's false. Let's just clear that up right now. If you're not actively expelling some type of secretion, mm-hmm. you can't get it from somebody. Correct. Um, now, now say that again. Emphasis. Emphasis. If, you- <laughs> if you're not actually expelling some type of secretion, whether that be blood, saliva, uh, mucus from your nose, urine, fecal matter, unless it's one of those things, or I, I guess if you're having sex too, um, you're, you're not going to spread it. Right. Like it, it's not, I don't care what it is. It's not just going to magically jump from one person to the next. Right. And that's what uh, this whole game that is being played right now, I'm like, and they're like, oh no, really asymptomatic spread is a thing, but you're asymptomatic and you have no symptoms, but you have to get tested to see if you even have it. That is not a thing. That has never been a thing. That is not, that is not how any of this works. And for them to come out and change the narrative and tell everybody that, yes, you can spread everything, even if you don't have it or don't know that you have it, you can still spread it. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how that works. That's not how uh, you get infected or get sick ever. No, hundred percent agree with you because yeah. And that bothers me. And the other thing too is where they're still harping on these tests, right? The PCR tests. Right. But come January 1st, 2022 people, the C the FDA is going to pull the EUA because they don't actually work. But in t- right. up, up until then they totally work guys. They totally work. We can trust We're- them. Right. And, you know, we talked about that quite a while back where they the PCR tests were actually uh, put on a class three recall, which means that that's something that you normally yank immediately. However, it was like, oh, but we'll give them until the end of December. Well, you know why that is, right? Well, they because they don't have any other PCR. PCR testing swabs available. Plus, they had to let Bill Gates and George Soros get their company uh, up and going and start manufacturing before there could be no new swabs put on the market. Well, and over the summer, there was this big push by the states for all the schools to buy these kits so the kids could, it's like swab and stay or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, they have to use those up because they already spent the money. Right. So what better way to do it than... To force them on the kids. Right. Exactly. With taxpayer money. Right. You're, you're, yeah. And that's the funny thing. And I always say it's a huge misnomer when the government tells you that your testing is free and your vaccinations are free and everything is free. It's not free because they're taking it out of your paycheck, out of your taxes that you pay to turn around and pay it back. Same thing as like, if you're uh, injured by a vaccination, 
you can't sue the manufacturer, but you can make a claim through the federal government uh, through the little, you know, honeypot they've got set up there. But what people don't understand is basically when you file a claim, you're paying yourself back for taking something that injured you in the first place. 100%. That is all taxpayer funded money. Big Pharma does not feed into that pot at all. No, that is that is taxpayer funds, 100,000%. So go back to the PCR testing. Okay. Um, and the cycles. Explain that to people and why the cycle speed is important. So I'm also going to include include primers in this explanation. So the way yes. I've explained it to people is if you have a sentence like the black cat ran fast and you went into a library and you look through all the books, you could probably find that sentence in a number of books. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have the black cat with white stripes that was eight pounds, uh, jumped over the fence and ran across the yard and blah, blah, blah. You're probably only going to find that exact sentence in one book. Right. So you want the primer to be more like that longer sentence. You want it to be really, really specific. Mm -hmm. However, the primers that they're currently using are like the black cat was fast. Right. So that means it could bind to, and, and we're working off the premise here that um, you can actually detect these viruses and all this other stuff. We're going to work on that premise for a second. Mm-hmm. So these primers can go in and they'll bind to maybe not just COVID-19. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Okay. So maybe not just COVID-19, but maybe a different form of coronavirus because coronavirus is a family of viruses, you right. know, like the common cold. Right. So you know, and maybe it could bind to the flu because a lot of people were having trouble distinguishing between COVID and the flu. Both are t- popping positive. Correct. So the primers aren't specific enough to determine, you know, if it's actually COVID. Now right. going to the cycle threshold. Cycles are like looking through every book once. If you look through every book once, you're probably going to miss some of those sentences. Mm-hmm. But the more you go through those books... And the more you read them, you're bound to find what you're looking for, right? Because you're you're looking for it. So the higher the cycle threshold is like the more times you're looking through a library and the more times you're looking through a book. So the higher it is, you're eventually going to find what you're looking for, whether it's really there or not. Mm -hmm. So that's how I try and explain it to people. Does that? So here's the thing. Um, and I've talked about this before because I pulled this directly off of the FDA's own website mm-hmm. and then it was removed of course it was. off of my social media, oh. uh, for being quote, uh, misinformation, even though it came from the federal government's website, I actually had printed it out. So sorry about that fact checkers. I actually have a hard copy in my position. Um, so I had talked about this before where, um, it was picking up not only the coronavirus family, uh, but like you said, it was also picking up 
you know, uh, the cold, the flu, it was picking up strep, it was picking up rhinovirus, it was picking up, I think there were nine different things on this particular chart um, that they were finding the PCR test was, was picking up. Now, as far as cycles go, uh, Dr. Science himself, Mr. Fuck Cheesy, yep. uh, said on one of his morning talk show rounds that a cycle should never be run over 35 because it can give you a false positive. So that being said, the very next day, the CDC put out guidance that they should run the cycles at 40 or above. So that was confirmation right then that they know they should run it at this particular cycle, but let's go ahead and make it even more. So it's going to pick up more stuff and basically we can inflate the numbers more. Well, and that's exactly what I got out of that. Well, that, and here's the thing is I want to say there was like four different companies. Don't quote me on that, but like around mm -hmm. four different companies making the PCR test that if you, went to a hospital, your doctor, a drive-up clinic, whatever. Um, right. And they were using different primers and different enzymes and things like that, but they mm -hmm. all had different cycle thresholds. Right. So by saying 40 all, all across the board, then you're negating what the manufacturer had recommended. Correct. And so, and then if a hospital or whatever bought from a company and then they bought from B company and the cycle thresholds were different. I can almost guarantee you that they probably weren't reading the instructions on how to run it. They were just running it at the same number because that's what they were so used to doing. Right. That's very true. And that's the same uh, with like any kind of uh, testing that you do in the laboratory for um, whether it's uh you know, certain blood test or, or whatever there is, uh, depending on what they're running, the same kind of uh, primers and enzymes and things like that, and specific sets of instructions that have to be followed because that is the way that test was designed by the company. So it's not just for COVID testing. That literally is a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. And I, and that happens on a regular basis where they don't read when they get a new manufacturer <laughs> or even if the manufacturer updates, you know, right. had version one and they, Oh, now we have version 2.0 mm -hmm. and you, and a lot of people just in science, especially if you're running the same thing over and over and over again, it becomes this monotonous thing and people will just, do what they're used to do because you, you basically know all the steps at that point. And so you, you don't even look at the protocol anymore. You just do it. Right. And let me, let me back up to something that, that you said um, a few minutes ago, because I really want to talk about this because we were talking about this before the show and we both had um, the same information, but from different sources Mm -hmm. So you said a while ago um, that the coronaviruses are colds. Yep. Okay. 
So what did you hear from Dr. Science himself? Okay, so coronavirus is a family of viruses. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be on, you know, just looking up stuff on the internet today. And typically, I don't click on the news banners, but I had to click on this one. And I actually still have it up. Um, Apparently, he told CBS Mornings today, Americans will likely learn to live with COVID-19. Um. At, like as they do with the common flu or with common cold and the flu. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be here. And that is no big deal because so is the flu. Yeah, uh, because it's never gone away. He hopes that after this Omicron wave, that there will be enough people either vaccinated or recovered from contracting the virus to mm-hmm. have a degree of immunity in the community. Mm-hmm. Did we just, oh my goodness, Janet, did he just admit that natural immunity exists? Well, well that is interesting because they have denied natural immunity for a while. And even the lovely singing uh, Dr. Francis Collins, that just stepped down as the head of the NIH, uh, you know, singing his COVID song to the tune of Over the Rainbow. Um, even he came out with this ranting, grumpy, snarky, you know, message when he's stepping down, telling people that uh, basically he was bashing any doctors that discuss natural immunity or natural immunity through herd immunity. Um, And so he in himself, per definition of what, you know, the uh, mainstream narrative has been lately is a science denier because that is a scientific fact that natural immunity works better than artificial immunity. Always has, always will. Agree, 100%. And here's the other thing, is people are like, oh, well, we don't know how long natural immunity lasts. 100%. And that's why you can't really do antibody testing because you're not quite sure of the levels or anything yet. Right. If you're going to say that, which is true, you have to then also admit that you don't know how long the Jabberwocky immunity lasts. And that's a hundred percent true. And and that the goalpost on that keep changing. And so it was, uh, Oh no, these are, it's 90, 95% effective or 97 or whatever the hell they were claiming. Um, and then it was, well, you know, after we've had some, some, uh, study results come back in, well, that's not exactly true. It's not even lasting three months. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's not really even lasting, you know, a month. And then a lot of people probably don't know this. Um, That initial data of the efficacy of their vaccination um, was not exactly stated properly. Uh, it was uh, a little bit falsified. Um, if I can find the article at some point in time, I'll, I'll share it. But 
I was reading about that where it's, it's uh, like everything has been manipulated so much. The data has been manipulated. Uh, the various things have been manipulated. Everything is manipulated. Um, even the COVID deaths in the hospital, marking people that drove their car off of cliff with COVID, you know, things like that. But back on the subject of the quote, common cold, I just want people to know that, um, and this is highly, highly interesting, but in a the American Medical Association book, this is a book that you can buy. It's the Encyclopedia of Medicine. Um, if you look inside the book, um, there is a page that has different viruses on it, one of them being the coronavirus. So you scroll down and right next to coronavirus, it says from the AMA and from their sources, because the AMA is a government run entity, it says the coronavirus is a common cold. Well, and my Jane Way's immunology book that I had to take when I took immunology for my master's also says that I, mm-hmm. I still have the physical book mm-hmm. and can like take a picture with it on my phone and show people. And they're like, Oh, well, that's really not true. And I'm like, are it's printed in a textbook. Right. It, and it is. And that's what this one, if, if for people that don't, you know, don't believe me, they don't think it's true, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Um, this is actually, uh, an American a Medical Association Encyclopedia of Medicine book that you can purchase. This particular one, uh, let's see here. It was published by Random House, uh, printed in the United States. This is a 1989 Random House edition, which, mind you, um, is before the SARS and the MERS ever even came through here. Um, but yeah, it's in their own, it's in their own books, their own textbooks and stuff that they're telling you what it is. And I, I remember the very first, uh, show that I was ever on, I said, it is a common cold virus. And people are like, oh my God, you're anti-science. That's not true. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah, it is. And for anyone that just is like, oh, well, her book's from 1989. So obviously science has changed. My right. textbook is the eighth edition from Janeway's Immunology. And it was mm-hmm. published in 2011. Right. Even the updated versions still so it's the same thing. Exactly. So just we're going to fact check that and right now. Now, <laughs> did, uh, didn't Dr science himself before state that it is not the same thing as a common cold. Oh yeah. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as the flu. It's much worse. Um, Now let me, let me ask you this. Um, In, in the quote vaccination realm. Yep. In your line of work, how many vaccination things did you have to work on or did you? I worked on one when I was in the, in the BSL three in grad school. Um, and 
they were actually looking at different ways to give it. So via aerosol or mm-hmm. intramuscular injection, which is like the typical one, um, or scarification, which is like what you do for sc- smallpox. Right. Um, so they were looking at different different ways. Um, but I only worked on one. But it was interesting to see because a lot of the data, unless it matched what they were looking for, right. unless it matched the grant that they had applied for from the federal government, mm-hmm. we didn't discuss that data. We didn't discuss bad data. Correct. And that data uh, is easily manipulated, once again, and uh, easily hideable, uh, where they don't release any um, contrary information like that back to the federal government or back to their their grantee, uh, because then they would lose their grant funding. Right. And what people need to understand is when you apply for a grant from the federal government or some type of foundation, you have to basically tell them what you're looking for. And so you basically then have to go find the science to prove what you were looking for. It's not a hypothesis. Right. It's not a true hypothesis. And I remember in grad school, we had to take um, a statistics class and an, an epidemiology class. And I remember the first day, one of the first things that the professor said was, you know, this is statistics. And everyone knows with statistics, there's lies, there's damn lies and, and statistics. You can mm-hmm. make the numbers look however you want. That's Correct. what I was taught in grad school. Correct. And there's a book called Lying with Statistics. Yep. And, and. I've talked about that before too, where, it, and it's, it, people don't understand the amount of manipulation that goes into things um, as far as the uh, funding and not only that, but um, the billing of things, uh, the coding of things. And I have worked on both sides of the spectrum before I was a nurse, I was a biller and a coder. And so anybody that's like, oh, you can't say that uh, billing or coding, uh, you know, that they get more for this diagnosis or that diagnosis or this or that. And I'm like, yeah, they do. There's a huge difference in, you know, and even so much as uh, like the treatment protocols that they do in the hospitals right now. Um, and people don't understand that, that federal re- federal agencies are involved in the amount of reimbursement. And so you've got, you know, the federal government has their hands in the cookie jar and they tell, you know, hospitals and stuff when they contract for Medicare or Medicaid, what is payable and what you will write off for something. And when it is related to a epidemic or a pandemic, uh, not just the coronavirus, but even Ebola, um, the swine flu, all the other quote panic things that came through here. If the federal government deems that it is an emergency uh, or a pandemic, epidemic, anything like that, uh, the reimbursement for what the government is pushing at that time as the narrative gets higher 
And so your reimbursement for COVID deaths is definitely higher because that is based on what federal dollars that that hospital receives for the quote disaster, right? And so if you're in a uh, pandemic and all, and your vaccinations and all this shit is under an emergency youth you emergency use authorization, then the more COVID deaths that you mark down or the more people that you diagnose in your facility with COVID, whether it is an actual wink, wink, positive test or an assumptive diagnosis of COVID, the reimbursement is higher because you're under the federal government's panic level of fear at that time or the propaganda. Um, and so the hospital in turn gets reimbursed with taxpayer dollars, you know, that go through the federal government, that hospital gets them right back for coding things, a death or a positive, or, you know, using the government's protocol of a ventilator, uh, things like that. The reimbursement is a lot higher. No, that's hundred percent true. And the ambulances, I have a friend who's an EMT Correct. and they were, you know, they told us, um, and I saw the emails from her work and stuff. If a certain number of personnel don't have the Jabberwockies, mm -hmm. they don't get funding from Medicare and Medicaid. Correct. Like, they're just not going to get paid. Correct. And so it's not even about, hey, we really think this works or anything like that. It's you have to get this or we're not going to get paid by Medicare and Medicaid, which is subsidized by the federal government. Correct. Which keep in mind, people, how fucked up that is because the federal government, anytime they say the virus uh, or the treatment for it is free, the testing is free you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not free. You again, as the taxpayer, it is your money that the government is taking to then withhold your taxpayer dollars from hospitals and healthcare facilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because they contracted as facilities with the federal government. And so if the federal government says jump, the facilities better say how high or they won't get your tax dollars. Yeah. And this wasn't just with COVID that's with right. the flu. It's not, it is. Or anything it's, like that. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's been Ebola, the swine flu, anything that the government deems as a serious public health risk, the funding level for those facilities goes up exponentially. And that's not a, that's not a falsification of facts. That's not, that is literally how it works. I know this because I worked in the industry. You worked in the industry. We both know that's how your funding happens. Agreed. And there's a, it's, there's a website. It's like open payments, uh, open payments, data.cms.gov. And you mm -hmm. can type in your doctor. Right. And you can see how much they have gotten from mm -hmm. like pharmaceutical companies. Right. And they have to report it by law. 
And right. I, I think it's in June is when they release, you know, the back year's data. So in June of 2022, we should roughly know what happened in 2021. And right. it'll be super interesting to see uh, who got money from which big pharma companies. And and think about this, um, and I've talked about this multiple times before, where um, you have your representatives that come in from your pharmaceutical companies, um, and when they switched to electronic medical records under Obama, and it became mandatory uh, that providers do so or face a government penalty and fines, um, per month, per year, et cetera, for not complying. Um, when they started this electronic system, the pharmacy or the doctors get uh, so much reimbursement based on how many prescriptions that they write. And so not only does uh, Pfizer have the most used vaccination uh, in the United States right now. Uh, of course, Moderna is second, but Pfizer also carries the drugs that are for heart attack, stroke, blood clots, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So if you think about uh, you're getting reimbursement from vaccinations and then reimbursement to treat uh, the side effects from getting vaccinated, uh, they also own those meds. So just imagine how much those practices or those facilities are bringing in by using that particular manufacturer's products. 100%. And those payments don't have to get re reported to this website. I, Correct. I, I wanted to ask you a question, though, Janet, because yeah. you said that you were in billing. Right. Why would there be a billing code? for if a patient denies a treatment? Uh, that's new. That is a brand new thing that uh, just came out, actually. It was added to um, <coughs> the ICD-10, and they do that randomly. They'll update something. Uh, but that was because there was such a push in this that people were like, uh, I'm really concerned because... Anytime I come into your office, you give me these papers. It talks about HIPAA. It talks about informed consent. When you give a vaccination or you're going to do a procedure on the patient, there are specific forms for procedures that you have to fill out. That is an informed consent. You explained such and such to the patient. The patient writes down like what area they're going to do a surgery on, whatever. It's a big it's a big process. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> For the vaccinations themselves, um, you have to answer anything and everything that the patient asks you. And so if now you're like, well, I want to know what, what exactly is in it. Well, I'm sorry, Mrs. Johnson, we can't. I, I don't have that information for you. Well, who can tell me? Um, I'm sorry, Mrs. Johnson. We we don't have that information either. Uh, can you tell me what the safety and efficacy rates are? Well, Mrs. Johnson, we, we can't tell you that either. So they're not really doing informed consent. So they started this brand new um, 
basically it's a denial code or a refusal code yeah. from the patient. Um, or even if you can't get the vaccination because you're allergic to uh, whatever, you know, said ingredients or, you know, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. uh, they can mark that down. That then becomes part of your permanent record that goes to the World Health Organization so that every organization um, on the planet that has access to your medical records now uh, sees that you're basically a non-compliant patient. I'm going to go a little conspiracy theorist on you, but wouldn't that make it awful easy to figure out who has and hasn't had the vaccine? Like, Correct. A, but like this registry that we've all been trying to tell you about. And mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter about these passports because they already know. They already know. Yeah. And, you know, this whole new setup of this ICD-9 code um, for that purpose is crap because there are a lot of people that are really seriously allergic to uh, the detergents, um, the excipients, uh, you know, that have been in vaccinations forever and they really cannot get something because they have, you know, reactions or say uh, the patient can't get a certain vaccination because they're uh, religiously exempt or whatever. You are now marked down under that new ICD-9 code. So yes, they already know they can track you a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that should terrify people. Yes. Yeah. And, and people don't uh, understand that, but that's a new thing that came out, like I said, this year, because there's so many people that are like, well, the people that actually know their rights as a patient, uh, it's under the patient's bill of rights when you go into a facility or a doctor's office or whatever, and they give you all that stuff and you don't read it and you just chuck it in the trash. Uh, but there's so many people that know their rights now uh, that, that are actually asking questions that they should be asking. Yeah. I'm one of those difficult patients. <laughs> yeah, so am I. I want you to, I want you to tell people uh, about the story that we talked about this morning because uh, I love you. I think we're kindred spirits and I swear to God, you have the exact same uh, fire of the beast in you. <laughs> well, are the, the story where I denied a COVID test? Yes. Okay. So last Christmas um, or around that time, I thought I was just having like a really bad period. My, I had really bad cramps. And so I'd went to bed and uh, like two o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I told my boyfriend at the time, I said, we need to go to the hospital right now. And I'm not one to just really nilly go to the hospital because of everything that I've been through. But I was like, we need to go. And mind you, this is right in the middle of all the COVID hysteria. Mm -hmm. So we go to the little hospital in our area. It was like two miles from the house. And they take a CT. And I had finally agreed to some pain medication. So I'm exhausted on pain medication, they do the CT. The doctor comes in and goes, oh, I just think you're really constipated. Um, you'll be fine. And I look at Mike and I go, no, that like this isn't right. The doctor comes in three minutes later. No joke, three minutes later. And he goes, oh, the radiologist actually read your report. 
um, you have bleeding in your abdomen and you looks like you have a giant cyst on your ovary. You need to be transferred via ambulance to a larger hospital immediately. And I was like, I got whiplash. Uh, Hey, wait, I was just going to say, that's really interesting that it switched from you can't poop to you have internal bleeding. Right? Those are two very different things. (laughs) Again, people, the quote, wink practice of medicine. Yeah. So um, go to the larger hospital, the OB resident. It's like four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning now. He's like, take some Motrin, go home. You'll be fine. I was like, yeah, that's not happening. So I ended up going home on the weekend calling my OBGYN doctor. And they're like, oh, you need to come in and we need to do some tests. Go in, do the test. Yep, you're bleeding internally still. Yep, you still have a giant cyst on your ovary. Uh, You need to go to Yale. I'm in Connecticut. You need to go to Yale. And they're the best. I was like, all right, fine. So I need to have surgery. So go to Yale. Take Mike with me. And they're like, oh, we can't have visitors. He, he can't come with you. And I said, yeah, I can. Because I have a left arm. It's called a radio clubbed hand. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute. But basically, once you put an IV in my right arm, I can't get a drink of water. I have difficulty pulling up my pants. So I need assistance when I'm in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no. No, he can't come back. And I said, the hell he can. I'm going to leave. You can't do that. I was like, you've only taken my temperature and my blood pressure. I absolutely can leave. We'll we'll, we'll get patient advocacy down here. And all of a sudden, Mike is magically able to stay. So then they repeat these tests. And and by the test, I mean these transvaginal ultrasounds where I'm having severe abdominal pain. And they're like, we don't believe the previous doctor. So let's just keep testing this. I know. Let's keep jabbing that right up your cooter and see right. if we can poke it some more. Right. Let's push a little more blood in your abdomen. It's fine. Yeah. So we'll stir it up. We'll mix it around with the transducer wand. hundred <laughs> percent. It was great. Um, so then they have the OBG resident come in. Um, yep. You're bleeding internally. You need surgery. Okay. He's like, but you have to have a COVID test. I go, Mm, no, I don't. Well, yeah, you do. It's hospital protocol. I said, no, I don't. He goes, well, what do you mean? No. No is a complete uh, sentence. Is it really hard to understand? Sense. Yeah. No is a complete <laughs> sentence. I was like, no means no rapist. Right. No means no. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to go talk to my chief. I'm like, okay, fine. Go talk to your chief. So the chief comes down and she goes, well, I I heard you won't take a COVID test. I said, no, because I understand how they work and I know they don't actually work. Well, what do you mean? Okay. You you really want to have this out? (laughs) What, what, what primers are you using? Well, what do you mean? What primers are you using? Well, I don't know. Who's the manufacturer of the test? Well, I don't know. What cycle threshold are you using? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm not going to get this then. If you can't answer my questions, why should I subject myself to this test that you can't answer anything about? Exactly. And they send in two more doctors to try and argue with me. Because at that point, I was like, I'm just going to sign AMA against medical advice. I'm just going to leave. And they tried telling me I couldn't do that, too. And I was like, 
I'll have Mike rip the IV out and we'll walk out without signing papers. Exactly. Like, this is not. <laughs> you want to watch here. me? You really? Like you really want to test me? You clearly don't know me. Mm-hmm. So end up arguing with two other doctors, and finally they're like, well, okay, you don't have to get a COVID test, but then we're just going to have to treat you as your COVID positive and put you in a COVID positive OR, and we're going to have to gown up extra and wear extra PPE. And I looked at him and I said. So you want to operate on my ovaries with extra PPE unnecessarily because even though I'm not sick at all right now, I'm just bleeding right. eternally, and you want to put me in a COVID-positive OR? No. Right. And the look on their face when I was <clears throat> just said no, they like they could not wrap their head around this fact. They They couldn't do it. And so I signed AMA, and I went home, and I – probably another five-ish days and Christmas day. um, Mike looks at me and he's like, you're not doing good. And I said, no, I said, I'm stubborn, not stupid. I said, I need the surgery. I said, it's my body's not absorbing the blood, like stubborn, not stupid. So I go in, have the stupid PCR test. Cause at this point I don't have any fight left in me. I'm in too much pain. And before they even get the results back, literally they swab me. And within 15 minutes, mind you, these results are supposed to take hours. Right. Me up to the maternity floor. If I was that big of a risk, you wouldn't have put me up there with mothers and new babies. A hundred percent. Right. So it's all a giant joke. It's all mm-hmm. a giant joke. Well, and I think, too, that a lot of uh, people don't know how much power they wield as a patient. It says, again, on the paperwork that you sign when you go into the hospital and they give you all this stuff and then you don't ever look at it, that you have, it's listed under the Patient Bill of Rights. You can look that up online. In the Patient Bill of Rights, you have the right to refuse absolutely any treatment whatsoever or any procedure or any uh, surgical stuff, anything, you have the right to tell them no. Oh, I, I loved how they had the audacity to ask me um, if I was okay to accept blood products during surgery. And that question was okay to say no to, but I wasn't okay to say no to a COVID test. Right. Which makes no sense. Nope. Uh, because it is not infectious. It is a common cold. Um, and here's the thing. Everybody knows Uh, me knows that I don't believe that bacteria and viruses exist anyway. I believe that what we have in our system is toxins. And if your system is out of balance, that's when you get sick. Um, And so if you think about like everything that they inject in you uh, from birth in, in the vaccinations, Um, Everything they spray in the sky, everything they put on the crops, um, everything they add to the water, you have those toxins in your system. And when your body's trying to expel those, um, they create, you know, what's called exosomes and and trying to pass those through your sweat, your tears, uh, your sneezing, stuff like that. And that's your body's way of trying to expel those things and get them out. Because a lot of the symptoms of quote, viruses are back or bacteria are the same thing as metal toxicity, exact same symptoms. So that's where I stand on things. I'm sure 
<clears throat> that you being trained as a scientist feel a little differently than I do. What is your take on that? I do because there are certain things that um, you can, if, if someone gets Ebola, we'll go for extremes here for a second. If someone gets Ebola and then you touch their blood or secretions or things like that, you then get those same symptoms. Um, so, and, and I've seen bacteria under microscopes and things like that. Can I confirm they were bacteria, not exosomes? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, <laughs> I, and, you know, but I don't know enough of the other side to argue. And one of the things, one of my personal uh, tenets, I guess, is unless I understand both sides, I don't <coughs> um, discussion on it until I'm really well read and I can understand both sides of the argument um, just because I believe in having intelligent conversations. But as a base level, I I think that bacteria and viruses exist. Do I think that sometimes when someone says they're sick with a virus, is it really because their body is overloaded with toxins? Absolutely. So I'm in this middle ground where I don't think you're totally wrong, but I also don't think you're totally right. So it's just, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I've seen, um, That's so weird. Sorry about that. I muted no, no. myself. No, no. Um, but that's the thing is that you're like on the fence in, belie- in between germ theory and terrain theory. Um, and, you know, like you may not agree with me 100% or vice versa, but we can still have a conversation and we actually like each other. Right. And we're not <laughs> screaming at each other. We're not swearing. We're not demeaning each other. We're like, hey, I can see you have merit there. I don't totally right. agree, but you know, okay. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And see, the thing for me is um, when I worked as a nurse, um, I was completely snowed into believing everything that I was taught in school, uh, everything that was in the books, all the curriculum that came down through you know, the masters of the universe, which happened to be the Rockefeller family and the Carnegie Foundation. Um, I bought and believed all of the pharmaceutical lies, the virus, you know, the vaccinations and the whole nine yards. And it wasn't until I started reading package inserts. Um, I started reading the information that I was getting Uh, That is not a public release of information for uh, drugs, vaccines, things like that. They were only coming to health providers. I'm reading these things and I'm going, whoa, this is not matching up with anything that I learned, like at all. It's so funny you say that because uh, obviously when I started talking about my degrees, I said I was indoctrinated, not educated. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but totally s- similar thing of a gr- bought into everything and things like that. And when I met Mike, one of the first things I said is, you know, don't ever tell me you're an anti-vaxxer because they're crazy. And about mm-hmm. eight months later, not even, I was like, I will never. I hate vaccines. I was like, I will never <laughs> vaccinate my children. When I have children, I will never vaccinate my children. 
And it was a similar thing of I started following more holistic minded people right. on Instagram. And I was right. actually at the time able to have an open mind. Right. I came across an account. Um, they're not on Instagram anymore, but they do have a website by the same name called Just the Inserts. And the way the information was presented, um, I have no idea if this person was male or female. Uh, they had stated they weren't in the medical industry, um, but they were just, they would show inserts from mm-hmm. products, right. whether they were Jabberwockies or birth control or whatever. Right. And data from the FDA and the CDC. And that's all that was on that account. Right. And I started reading and I was like, how could I have ever claimed to have been a scientist? Right. And never actually questioned because mm-hmm. that is the whole tenant tenant of science is you must question everything. But wait, 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 that goes against what Dr. Science himself said that, uh, you are now a science denier because uh, you're not allowed to question science. Yeah, that's bullshit. And <laughs> and that goes against the whole premise of science because science is questioning and science is questioning outcomes and can we duplicate results and, you know, what's the procedure going to be to get through this experiment that we're going to do? It is always questioning. It is. And so for them to come out and say, you know, and label people once again, because, you know, the government's really good at labeling groups that they want to destroy, you know, and it's it's one of those things where now you are anti-science because you questioned something that, you know, somebody that claims that they're the Lord God master authority figure says that you can't question. Right. And that just boggles my mind because I feel like if, first of all, science is meant to be questioned. It's not a religion. You're not supposed to have faith in science. But also, if you are so 100% sure about your research, prove it. well, you should want people to try and poke holes in it. Right. Because if you, if you're convinced that you've done all the experiments possible, if your theories are sound, if you have the evidence to back it up, you should want people to Mm -hmm. try and prove you wrong. Right. Because scientists have some of the biggest egos in the world. So why would you not want people to prove you wrong? Right. Why? It's so funny because scientists uh, are bought and sold uh, just like cattle. I mean, because they're they're bought like whoever will provide the results that they want to see. And so it's the same thing with like all the mask studies that they've done and, and things like that, that, uh, that the government denies and says, Oh yeah, no, well, we're only going to believe this article from this particular source because they're getting government funding. Right. Um, and they're going to ignore all the science that says that they don't work. And they literally do that with everything. They do that with every drug trial um, throughout history. They've done that. They've done that through with every uh, vaccination throughout history. Um, Every, everything. That's what they've always done. I mean, like the very first vaccination was made from cow pus swabbing a pussy sore lesion on a cow's side and let's put it in people 
because that should keep people from getting this disease that the cow has. And of course, it didn't work. And all these children that they did this to or all the people they give it to died. But, you know, again, there was a manipulation of data and a manipulation of facts. And of course, the government went ahead and approved it. Um, And that is throughout history what has happened with vaccinations and medications. And then later on, uh, they'll pull shit off the market and be like, well, you know, after looking at all of the data that's come in from the reporting systems, after we release this medication and after our wink, wink studies were done, uh, yeah, well, the, we've decided we're in a pullet because it's causing uh, cancer, it's causing deformations, it's causing, you know, stillbirths or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. Everything throughout history has has repeated itself in that aspect. You know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty, and you mentioned the cowpox, mm-hmm. uh, and that story is told even in like high school biology and almost mm-hmm. like this fairy tale esque on a pedestal way of um, mm-hmm. Edward Jenner had, you know, this, he, he saw that the milkmaids weren't getting smallpox and mm-hmm. because they were, had cowpox and, you know, he was so sure that it was so safe that he swabbed the pus of um, one of the milkmaids that had cowpox and, and you know, scraped it onto his son. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was so sure. And it was, it's presented in this very um, fairy tale esque way. And I also find mm-hmm. it, you know, now disturbing that he used children, he used his own children. Yes. Yep. And I think there were six children in the study that he originally did. And it's like, <laughs> like seriously um who does that i mean would you as a scientist be like hey uh i i've got this great idea i'm gonna take this uh pus from my butt sore and i'm gonna just rub it all over my kids and see what happens i wouldn't do that to anybody else's kids let alone my own exactly and and, and people are going to argue, oh, well, that was a long time ago and they didn't really know what they were doing. And my argument to that is so bullshit. <laughs> were children not valuable then? Because the, the, bullshit. <laughs> because infant mortality rate was higher then. So you would think even children would be even more precious. So why would you do that? Right. And, you know, um, and I, I've brought this up before, but this is definitely worth repeating. Um, if you look at cdc.gov, go to advanced search, type in vaccine excipient summary. Um, There is one particular interesting thing. This is in a rotavirus vaccination. It says uh, porcine circovirus type 1, PCV1 is present in Rotorix vaccination. PCV1 is not known to cause disease in humans. However, um, this particular thing, uh, it also resembles a coronavirus, has the spikes on it. The whole nine yards looks exactly the same. It's a pig virus, um, and it is autonomously replicating, which is exactly why they put this in your vaccinations. 
Um, but it is also mutagenic because it mutates your DNA. <clears throat> Things like this have gone out, gone on throughout history. It happened with smallpox and all kinds of other stuff where they discover these things. And, oh, it would be a great idea to inject people with these viruses from animals. Let's put these dog cells in a human and see what happens. Let's, you know, whatever. And one of the things that I've talked about before is on this list is polysorbate 80. It's an 11 vaccinations on the schedule, uh, on the federal schedule. Uh, it's in food, it's in cosmetics, deodorant, soap, shampoos, et cetera, et cetera, not just vaccinations, but the material data safety sheet on this says that it is, um, only tested on animals, hasn't been tested in humans, and it is carcinogenic, mutagenic, and causes cardiac changes. And think about that. It's in 11 of the vaccinations on our schedule. And so um, if you think that they have your children's best interest at heart or yours, you're sadly mistaken. So anyway, with that being said, you mentioned something earlier about your hand. Yep. You're a very uh, talented young lady. But I want you to tell people like what you have and what your story was. Okay. Because it's fascinating. So I was born in the early 90s. And so my parents had no idea. Um, they assumed that I was just going to be a healthy baby and had no idea when I was born. Um so I was born and I came out a little jaundice and blue because I had heart problems. So I joked that I was green because yellow and blue meant green. <laughs> you are a baby leprechaun, weren't you? I was. <laughs> um, and they found out I had this thing called Trichology of Fallot, which means basically five defects in my heart, mm -hmm. five holes in my heart and a tight mitral valve. So at seven months old, I had to have open heart surgery. And so this is where, in my opinion, obviously Western, without Western medicine, I would not be here. So I'm not against all Western medicine, just use it sparingly. But anyway, so I had open heart surgery at seven months old. And the other thing that they noticed is that my left arm, uh, basically I don't have a thumb on my left hand. And if you imagine like where your thumb would be, that was rotated all the way in. So it was touching the inside of my forearm and I don't have a radius. So the radius is the bone that runs to your thumb. The ulna is on the outside by your pinky. So let me ask you a question real quick and then, and then we'll go back and explain this to people, but are you like type four then? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have a type four radio club hand. And what that means is um, I have no radius bone and no thumb. The varying type four being the most severe. Uh, there are people that, you know, maybe they have a partial thumb or a partial radius or things like that. And so that's where like type one through three can come in. And so with splints, because babies' bones are more malleable, they took my left arm and um, made it so my wrist kind of made like an L shape like an uppercase mm -hmm. L. 
And that's how I lived until I was 10. But I had trouble um, pulling out my pants, doing my hair, reaching high, because the other thing is that my left arm is significantly shorter than my right. It's about nine inches shorter. Mm -hmm. So as it would be since you're missing that bone. Right. So uh, my one of my aunts had seen saw this thing um, about a doctor in Maryland that was doing um, a procedure that they had learned in Russia called the Izrilarov device. I probably butchered that, but um, it's that thing where people usually see it on people's legs if they have a really bad uh, broken leg, um, mm-hmm. where it's like the halo. It's like a circle around the leg and right. the pins going in. Right. So I had two sets of those from the ages of 10 and 14. And what they do is they surgically break the arm and then we would take a wrench and we would turn a nut and a bolt um, a certain amount each day, three times a day. And it would surge, it would stretch the broken bones apart, thereby Mm -hmm. stretching the muscle, skin and nerves along with it. Um, So the first round made my hand, made my wrist so it was straight instead of shaped like that L. Mm-hmm. And then the second round of surgeries gave me about two inches. Um, and some people notice I don't have a thumb. Some people don't notice at all. It's more noticeable in the summer just because you can see my full arms. Um, and there are certain syndromes that they're called like heart hand syndromes. Mm-hmm. And some are genetic, some aren't. And the ones that are genetic, I've had every genetic test under the sun. So God knows who has my DNA now, but (laughs) (laughs) Bill Gates, (laughs) I don't doubt it. But but you're, Hey, you were put in the human genome project uh, to create this uh, coronavirus that attacks uh, certain genetics in people. Oh, oh no. So thanks for your contribution. Oh, don't tell me that. Don't tell Bill me Gates, that. thanks you. <laughs> but yeah, so they've done every test and they're like, hmm, we really don't know what this is. We can't find any genetic mutations. Um, and we can't really describe how you are the way you are. Um, and some doctors say I have a 50-50 chance if I have children of a baby being born like me. And then others are like, no, you just have like a 0.5% chance that they're going to have a heart problem like you. And I'm like, well, at this point, it's not in my hands. So it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. And you know, whatever is meant to be is meant to be. And I've, and I've made peace with that. Um, So let me ask you a question on this because I know um, that this is, a consideration for, well, first tell me, uh, what did the pediatrician say about the very first pediatrician that you went to? What did he say about what happened or what could have happened? Oh my God. Okay. So, um, mind you, this is the early nineties. However, I've had doctors as an adult tell me something similar, but the pediatrician, told my mother, you must have been on some serious drug to has, have a fucked up baby as this. His words to my mother, who's postpartum and I'm a few weeks old. He thought that well, was that, a good idea. That, that's, that was a really sweet thing for a doctor to say to a patient. Yeah, which was absolutely yeah. not true, by the way. Well, 
So um, my first thing is when, you know, I read that on your story and I was like, very first thing that popped into my head, I'm like, ding, ding, ding. I am such a smart ass and people know I like have no filter. And if it would have been like a doctor talking to me and I was like, wow, you must have really done some drugs and blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, would you like a list of all the pharma drugs that, that I've been on throughout the years? Oh yeah. Well, I have. Or would you like a list of the vaccinations that you've given me that are known to cause birth defects? I Do you had, want those? I had a doctor well, like three years ago now. Um, and I went in for like a checkup. I was trying to find a new primary care because I had moved. And this was when I still went to those types of doctors on a regular basis. And she goes, mm-hmm. were your parents related? And I said, excuse me? She goes, <laughs> she goes, no, well, bitch. You- there's a fork in my family tree. She goes, well, you know, like were your parents cousins or something? Because that would explain you and your hand. Wow. No, okay. you're not related, but kudos to you in, you know, 2018 for still thinking that that's a thing and that's okay to even ask somebody. Kudos to yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so that's another reason why I really am happy I am out of the medical industry now because uh, if I was a nurse in the room and heard that, uh, that doctor and I would have been out in the hallway and two seconds and everybody in the building would have heard me. Yeah. When I ended up contacting the office manager later, one of their first excuses was, well, she wasn't, she, she wasn't, she didn't grow up in America. And I was like, I don't care where she grew up. Exactly. Well, maybe if she's here in the United States, she should learn how to talk to people and treat people, uh, in the way that we do. Just saying. I was like, I don't care. I don't care where she grew up. You, you don't do that. Yeah, no. I had, no. when I was going to um, work in the BSL-3, uh, the lab manager at the time, she goes, well, you know, you're going to have to take off your street clothes, which is the pe- clothes people normally wear, and go, you know, you're going to have to take off your street clothes and put on scrubs. Are you able to do that yourself? And I said, yeah, I can dress myself and I can also braid my own hair. And no shit, Janet, she slaps her legs and goes, really? Like she wasn't being sarcastic. And I was like, I don't even know what to do right now. Like this woman genuinely thought I couldn't dress myself at 21 years old. You're like, you're like, honey, I'm a big girl now. Are yeah. you, are you a big girl? Uh, I mean, seriously. And that's the thing. Um, it's another misnomer that people, because they're, uh, missing a thumb, missing a toe, you know, whatever the case may be that they are not capable of doing things. No, here's the thing. Anybody that has any kind of issue, uh, like that, whether it's a, uh, malformation, deformation, um, genetic, you know, issue, whatever the case may be, you learn to adapt and change and learn how to do things that work for you. And I will tell you, it's not anywhere near the same thing, but like people that know me know that I had a fusion of my spine done. So I cannot put on my shoes like normal people do 
because I cannot bend at the waist. I have plates and rods in there. And so uh, you find new ways to put on your socks, to put on your shoes, to put on your pants, whatever. And so that's what people do is, is adapt and change and, and figure out new ways to do things. No, it's not a scary thing. No. And, you know, obviously growing up being different was hard and I'm not going to try and lie to you and make it seem like my life was all roses. Um, Cause there were times that like, I definitely did want to look like everybody else because that would have made my life so much easier. But now if you ask me, okay, Elizabeth, I can snap my fingers and your left hand is going to look like your right and everything else. I'd be like, no, I don't want that because right. being born different has afforded me the opportunity to think outside the box on such a variety of different topics that right. it, it it's amazing. And it's so a blessing. I, it, it totally it's, is a blessing. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that a lot of people, um, you know, that are listening to this are like, gosh, I would not like that. That would be so hard for me to deal with. Yes. No, it's fantastic because like she said, it gives you that creativity that you needed and you being unique is fantastic because think of how many of us are so just identical. It's like driving through a housing complex where all the houses look exactly the same and there's nothing different. That's the way we are. We're the boring ones and we're the ones that are stuck like in a rut. Because a lot of us don't develop those how to do things different or how to look or think about things differently. No, like in 100%. And that's one of the comments that like drives me up the wall. Oh, I could never do that. Okay, first of all, I didn't have a choice. So right. if you didn't have a choice, you deal with it too. Right. Let's put that out there. But second of all, why would you automatically assume just because I'm different that I've had like that my life is bad? Like. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that is the more common response makes me really sad for society because, you know, what happens if your kid is born different or if they have, they they become best friends with somebody who looks different for whatever reason? Are you just going to then automatically feel bad for that person or are you going to try and understand their story? And I'm also not saying that every person who is different should be put on some inspiration pedestal and, oh, my goodness, you're so great and you can do no wrong because that's not true either. Right. But it, it all depends on the individual person. Right. And what you choose to make of it and do with it. I mean, look at you. For goodness sakes, people that don't know, you know, it takes a lot of work to become a scientist and, you know, do what you were doing for a living and, you know, learning, learning to adapt and overcome to be able to do that job. But there are some people on the other hand, like you were saying that, you know, have a disability or have something hindering them and they let it control them completely and they do nothing to make life better or to change anything. Yeah. They they get stuck in this, Oh, woe is me mentality. And I mean, right. So to be fair, there have been times in my life. So when I, I just finished my first year of grad school and I was walking across the street in a crosswalk when I was supposed to be. And a guy turning left hit me with his vehicle. 
broke my pelvis in five places, broke my scapula, broke my clavicle, got a traumatic brain injury, the works. I was in bed for 10 weeks, couldn't walk. Um, and there, at, during that time, I was absolutely in a wallow of self-pity and why me? Um, and and my master's degree at the time was also, this happened May 6, 2014. They said, if I don't return back to school in January of 2015, that I was going to have to reapply to the program. Right. And start over. And start over. Yeah. So I went back to school in January of 2015 and finished my degree because I wasn't going to let, you know, this accident take that from me. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely times where I've been, oh, woe is me. But if you stay there, you're going to live a really sad life. But let me ask you a question. <clears throat> when you had the uh, accident, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the guy plows over you, um, like what, if anything, did you learn from the injuries that you sustained or what did you learn about your life? at that time after you got yourself pulled out of that sad spot? It was really eye-opening to me for Big Pharma because they started pushing all these pharmaceuticals on me. And they had kind of done that as a kid with my arm surgeries and my heart and stuff. But they really pushed it hard after this accident. And it was, here's a medication. Oh, you have a side effect. Here's another medication for that. Um, And it was just medication on top of medication. And I had Mm -hmm. to basically wean myself off of them. Um, And that was a really long, hard process. And that was- Because most of them were probably narcotics. So because of my, because they tried to give me narcotics when I was 10, I wasn't a big fan of narcotics and pain medication and how they made me feel. It was- I now have anxiety and depression and I can't focus. So let's give you Ritalin and stuff for your anxiety and stuff for your depression all at once. And then, oh, you mm-hmm. can't sleep here. Let's give you more medication. Right. Because they're they're giving you stimulants um, and then they can't understand why you're not producing the melatonin and the serotonin that you need. And so then it's like, here, let's give you an artificial melatonin and see if that helps. Right. And so as I weaned myself off of these over years um, and I realized that big pharma, you know, wasn't really the answer. But at the time, you know, I still went and worked for big pharma because I my eyes weren't quite open to everything. Right. And I was just like, well, you know, there has to be some good doctors and, you know, not all doctors are prescription pushers. And and those are true statements. it's just not what I had really encountered. And so because of my open heart surgery, they had to stop my heart. So I died technically once. And then with my being hit by that car, the other thing I realized is I've gone through so much shit. I am here for a reason. I don't know. Like I should have died. I should have been gone and dead and not been here. I am clearly here for a reason and I'm thankful I am here and I am blessed to be here. And about a year, year and a half ago is when I realized, you know, um, science, I went, I went into science to help people and science as it is right now, doesn't really do that. And so 
I started looking to, into holistic remedies and I became a Reiki master and I became interested in crystals and essential oils. And mm-hmm. now I go through and I help people that way. And I genuinely help people. And I don't have this agenda because I'm not funded by anybody. Right. And um, I've got written a, rid of a lot of the pain from my accidents just through natural remedies. And I want to help people do the same thing. Because I know what it's like to not like narcotics, but be in pain, but want an alternative, but not even know where to look. Right. Exactly. And so I've done that research and I found what works for me. And I'm not going to try and say that what works for me works for everybody. Right. Because there's no one size fits all. Right. But you know what? And I'm just going to say this. I say it all the time. Things happen for a reason. You were working in an industry and doing something that you should not have been doing. And even though it's horrific, um, you know, having the accident and, and everything that came from that, that had to happen to you to put you on the path that you're on now. 100%. Because if that would have never happened, you would have continued on that same path in that same kind of job and nothing would have come any differently to you. Well, I mean, even go so far as if I hadn't had that accident, then I wouldn't have been had to go back to my parents' house in Michigan mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have met my now ex-husband who moved me to Connecticut and where I met my now fiance. Right. Like even if that's the only thing that happened out of this. Right. You know, and he's the actually the one who helped me, who introduced me to Reiki, who introduced me to essential oils. Right. And I'm so thankful for him for that because I just, I knew pharmaceuticals didn't work. So I was just like, well, I'm just fucked and I'll be in pain. And he was like, well, no, there's a better way. And that's the funny thing is that you were in that industry and you know they don't work. Yeah. <laughs> So see, people, I'm not insane. I'm not making this up. This is somebody that worked in that industry that knows better. So I'm just saying. Now, I I do want to go back to something um, because this is very interesting to me um, and people that don't know. When we were talking about uh, your hand, Mm-hmm. And how, you know, the, you had all the genetic testing done and they couldn't find uh, the genetic markers or mutations that would have caused your issue and stuff. Um, with this or a lot of different uh, malformations of the bones and things like that, um, they do something that's called, uh, uh, it's a symptoms of a vacterol syndrome, vacterol, V-A-C-T-E-R-L. Yep. So not, I did not say bacterial, (laughs) Um, but what that is, it's an acronym. It stands for vertebral differences. So uh, changes in your spine um, and the bones and such. Um, Anal atresia, which means that you do not form um, your anal opening on the outside of your body, um, cardiac problems or complications, tracheal or esophageal, uh, issues or fistulas, things like that. 
renal issues and other limb differences that are outside of, you know, your specific condition. And I know you mentioned the heart issue. Mm -hmm. Did you have any of the other stuff as well? It's so funny you ask. So when I was born, I had hydronephrosis of my right kidney and and hypoparathyroidism. Oh, shoot. Okay. But both of those basically resolved themselves by the time I was two. Um, and so it, I have like these little pieces of all these different syndromes. Mm-hmm. One, they thought at one point it was Poland syndrome where my subclavian artery just basically, uh, it didn't allow blood flow to the left side of my body because it's my left arm and your heart's on the left side. So maybe that right. was, but then that threw off the right kidney piece. Um, they thought it was Holt Orum, which is genetic. But Holt-Orm doesn't have typically the heart syndrome with it. The Vactoral, I didn't have because I didn't have all the acronyms for the letters. So they're like, we're pretty sure you have something. And then this is what's wild, Janet. So when they we're go- pretty sure you have something. And you're like, no shit. Right, right. So when they went to go do the first genetic testing at the University of Michigan, they took my DNA- And then they took my parents and my sisters and my sister has cerebral palsy. So my condition is purely physical. Hers is purely mental. And um, we didn't think that we thought they were going to find something in me. Right. So they couldn't find anything in me, but they ended up finding a mutation in my sister that they weren't even looking for. That I guess presents like cerebral palsy and all this other stuff. Um, but yeah, and that's just wild to me that they still don't know why I am the way that I am. Well, going back to that and and them accusing your mom of doing drugs, uh, your mom's not a drug user. No. Uh, but what is, didn't they give her a medication before? So they gave her Clomid, I think, because... Um, she was having trouble. I think she had some miscarriages. But then with my sister, they didn't – she was conceived completely naturally. And so, okay, if you want to blame Clomid for me, but then explain my sister. So is your sister older or younger? Younger. Okay. Because uh, the Clomid would make sense for you, especially – uh, whenever your mom received it could depend on if that caused uh, that to happen. People that uh, have never heard that before, Clomid is used not just for fertility, uh, but it's also used as an anti-nausea medication. Uh, they use it to uh, treat certain uh, female conditions and stuff, but it's also contraindicated. <laughs> For a lot of female conditions, uh, Clomid has a very storied past. It has a very um, interesting history, but uh, it causes, which they discovered again after the fact, after they swore it was safe and uh, efficacious and, and all that, and it had been on the market for a while. And of course they monitor like, uh, the VAERS system and the other reporting systems. And these are aftermarket, uh, notices basically where they put out 
safety concerns and they raise these concerns with the FDA and, and other places because uh, Clomid is known to cause uh, cardiac complications and also bone and skeletal malformations. So that is interesting. And it depends on like dosing of Clomid, like uh, when she received the Clomid, did they give it to her when she was pregnant? Did they give it to her before she was pregnant? You know, there's all kinds of things. But if you have uh, something genetic in your family or your your sister has something and you have something, but they're not related, that's very interesting. Yeah. And especially since they couldn't find any markers in you. Right. And because all of my things are so wildly different and the geneticist, multiple geneticists have told me the chances of my parents having me and then my sister, because right. the, the, the chances of that happening, they should have won the lotto like three times because right. um, the, the odds are just astronomical. Right. And it is because um, with the genetics of what you have, uh, it can happen to just one person in the family. And it doesn't have to occur in anyone else in the family. Right. But for both of the siblings to have something unusual, that's that's very outside the box. And completely unrelated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'd be interested to know, like, how old is your mom? Oh, uh, she'll probably get mad at me for saying this. Uh, she was born in 59. So, mom, you're a beautiful, lovely person, and uh, it's okay because with uh, age comes wisdom and beauty. So there you go. And she does like a fine wine, and we love you very much. Yes, and she does not look it either. She has beautiful skin. There you go. Um, So it would would be interesting to know if she ever took um, uh, thalidomide when it was on the market. She did not. Okay, that's a good thing. Yeah, because there are so many um, medications and, again, vaccinations and and things like that, which she was probably in that um, age group as well, same as me, where she probably got the smallpox vaccine. I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure, but she doesn't have the um, mark on her arm from it. Mm, I do. Yeah. My my dad does, but my mom doesn't. So that's, um, you know, there's so many different things that it could be. And especially if they don't find any genetics with you as a cause, that's that's highly interesting. Yeah, because it wasn't just, hey, we're going to test for these certain syndromes and look for specific mutations. It was they did whole exome sequencing. They did the works. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, there again, thank your whole family for contributing to Bill Gates. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, Jiminy. So how many how many surgeries did you have altogether? Uh, I think I've had 18 and that doesn't include like endoscopies or things like that. Wow. So, uh as far as your arm goes, you had the the quote stretching, the brace. Yep. Um did they do any other surgeries or anything like that? Any other treatments? Uh, The only thing they had to do is when they put the second frame on, I remember I was like 
13. I remember waking up from surgery and they had tied gauze around one of the halos and had it tied to an IV pole. So, um, you know, it was above my heart and it mm-hmm. was well. And I, my head was turned to the right and I was looking at my mom and I'm always super groggy when I come out of anesthesia. And I remember them just going, can you feel this? And I just said, feel what? And my mom's face going white and I end up having compartment syndrome. And oh, they had to fantastic. go in and oh. they cut me from my wrist all the way up about two and a half inches past my elbow where they lost my radial nerve. Right. Um, because your bones act as scaffolding for all your mus- muscles, nerves, and blood vessels to flow. Mm-hmm. Well, because I don't have a radius, it's kind of a jumbled mess in there. And so I have limited feeling in my hand now because of that. I am telling you what, you have had so many things go on. Have they, have they like fixed the heart issue or do you still deal with issues from that? So I'm very blessed. I had one open heart surgery at seven months old and I have been healthy ever since. It's been, it's been warned that, um, as I get older, I might need a pacemaker. I might need a valve replaced or things like that. But I'm basically an experiment for babies now because they're not sure how long people with Trichology of Fallot last. They're not sure how long. And so they can't really tell me, but I'm very thankful to um, that I'm healthy right now and I haven't had any complications or needed further surgeries. Mm, That's a good thing. And that's a very good thing and such a blessing uh, to hear that. So I'm very happy about that. That makes me excited for you in the future. So tell me about your YouTube channel. So my YouTube channel is completely non-controversial. Um, it is just, it's called One Thumb L. And all it is, is videos of me doing everyday things, which sounds really mundane. But have you ever seen someone with only one thumb tie their shoes? Probably right. not. So you can go to my right. YouTube channel and watch me tie my shoes. Uh, You can watch me braid my hair, put my hair in a ponytail, ride a bike, things that a lot of people are like, huh, I really wonder how she does that. Um, I haven't posted up there in a while, um, but that's just, it's just an educational YouTube channel, completely kid safe. um, So just show kids and even adults that just because you look different doesn't mean anything. Like I can do everything that you do. I just do Mm -hmm. it differently. Right. And I think that's a beautiful thing that you're doing that because uh, there are so many people out there that have, uh, you know, malformations or deformities, things like that, that have to learn how to do things or even people after, you know, loss of a limb or whatnot in an accident right? that have to learn how to do things differently. So I think that's fantastic that you do that. And I love, love, love the fact that you went from, you know, science is my calling. That's what I'm going to do. I'm so interested in this to now you're teaching other people about health and what to do naturally. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I went into science to help people, like I said, and I I didn't feel like I was making a difference. I actually felt like I was contributing to making people sick. And I, I morally, I couldn't do that. My heart couldn't do that. Um, And so 
when I discovered, you know, homeopathics and herbal remedies and essential oils and crystals and Mm -hmm. things like that. And as a scientist, to be fair, I used to think that all of it was completely bullshit and a bunch of woo-woo. Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. Um, I thought it was all bullshit. Reiki was bullshit, all of it. And now I'm like, yep, I'm a Reiki master and I sell essential oils and I have crystals all over my house. So... See, and it's so funny that uh, you like completely did a 360 and you're like, yeah, no, I'm going toward the woo-woo now because <laughs> the woo-woo is not woo-woo. <laughs> well, and it's been used for so long, right? Mm-hmm. That I mean, what did our ancestors do? What did the Native Americans do? Exactly. What did, what did yep. people do before Big Pharma? And so I realized that my you know, it wasn't woo woo. It was, I was going back to my roots. I was going back to humanity. I was going back to what I was supposed to be doing all along. Right. What the, what the quote science should actually be about instead of the science that makes you sicker. Right. And trying to take a a plant, for example, and pulling out one specific part of that plant and making it into a medicine Right. Well, it's no wonder it doesn't work as well or whatever, because you need the whole plant for it to actually work. Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is that a lot of people do mushrooms and they have been doing uh, a study at one of the big drug companies where they could take the mushrooms and put them into a pill form in medication uh, form to treat depression, anxiety, uh, things of that nature. But when you take a plant and you genetically, you know, manufacture it, you synthesize it into something that's synthetic, it's not the actual thing. It does not work the same. So just saying. I like I know why because it's for profit. But right. trying to mess with God's creation source, whatever name you want to put on that, mm-hmm. but trying to mess with nature never ends well. Right. We are not smarter than God. And right. trying to manipulate whether it's plants, humans, bacteria, like whatever you want to manipulate, I promise you it's going to come back to bite you in the ass at some point. Exactly. And that's the thing that uh, a lot of people don't understand is that the more people that we talk to, the more people wake up and realize uh, that what they always knew is no longer really the truth. And Uh, I think that anybody that gets into this uh, line of work or, you know, whatever you want to call it, I always call it teaching. I don't even call it podcasting. It's just teaching. And so if you can even teach one person a day something they did not know yesterday, you're doing your job. And the more people that get educated, the easier it is going to be to go back to the life that we want to live. I like that. I like that thought process. Yeah. So anyways, my dear, any final thoughts for, for everybody? Uh, I just wanted to thank you for having me on. Uh, Do you mind if I tell them where they can find me? No, absolutely. So the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. 
one thumb L. So you spell out O-N-E thumb E-L. And on there, uh, there's, you know, the links in your bio. Um, so on my campsite, so campsite.bio slash one thumb L. And there you can find my YouTube, my Etsy shop, because I make custom essential oil rollers with crystals on them and I charge them with Reiki. I have a YouTube channel on there. Um, I have a Mitre Networks page where I teach all about the science of ancient remedies. And so, and I also sell doTERRA. So. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) You're one of my new best friends, whether you want to be or not. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I would love to be your new best friend. Yeah, and it's funny because we were uh, talking, you know, um, she had posted a reel and it was about, you know, her wearing a lab coat and stuff. And then basically it's her leaving, you know, the industry that she was in. And that happened to be the very first thing that popped onto my feed that day, which everybody that knows me knows I don't look at Twitter and Facebook or Twitter and Instagram that much like at all. Um, and, but that's the very first thing that popped up and I liked her reel and she sent me a message and I'm like, you want to come on my show? <laughs> it did. And it was all in like a matter of like, I don't know, not even a week. And <laughs> like, I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, and, but honestly, I was so happy that you offered because the whole reason I do my YouTube channel is to educate people and to get that information out there. And I have no interest in doing my own podcast. So I love that you asked me to be a guest on your show because then I can get my message out and have a beautiful conversation with you and just help people and educate people. And that's all I really want to do in life is just help and educate people. Yeah. And it's, it's just funny to me how the universe like brings people together Yes. When they need to be put somewhere. So you obviously needed me to see that, that particular moment. And I was like, oh my God, this is like awesome. Uh, Yeah. You want to come on my show? (laughs) (laughs) And then I found out afterwards that she had a more amazing story than what I ever knew at the beginning. So, you know, and it's one of those things where you just... You just are given what you need at the time that you need it. So I am happy that you came on. I'm happy we can get your message out. And trust me, uh, there's probably going to be more podcasters that reach out to you that also want to have you come on. So uh, you're in a good place to get your word out. So there you go. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Thank you so much again for coming on my show. Make sure you go and like her page, follow her, uh, watch her YouTube videos, share them with people, uh, especially anybody that needs help or creative ways to do uh, things that a lot of us take for granted. So um, make sure you do that. And check her out and give her some love. Make sure you like, subscribe, download, comment, share, whatever you can do uh, to spread information to other people. It's always a good thing. And always remember, lift each other up. Do not ever tear each other down. 100%. Thank you, Janet, again. You're so welcome. I love you bunches. And so for me and for Ellie, we will see you next time. Have a good one. Bye, guys.